Hi, this is Ed Fitzpatrick. If you enjoy local politics as much as I do, be sure to join our friends at Rhode Island PBS for the show A Lively Experiment. Hosted by Jim Hummel, the weekly series features journalists, pundits, and politicians debating the stories and issues that matter most to us Rhode Islanders. Tune in to A Lively Experiment and be part of the conversation. Fridays at 7 p.m. on Rhode Island PBS and wherever you get your podcasts. From the Boston Globe, this is Rhode Island Report. I'm Ed Fitzpatrick. Welcome back to the podcast where we bring you big conversations from our very small state. Providence is about to get a new sculpture in honor of a notable black artist from the 19th century. Edward Bannister was one of the founders of the Providence Art Club and the first known black artist to win a prize in the United States. The Providence Art Club will unveil his sculpture next weekend during PVD Fest. Here to tell us more about Bannister and the project to honor him is Pamela Watts from Rhode Island PBS Weekly Engage Prentice, the creator of the Bannister sculpture. That's after a quick break. When you want to go beyond the headlines, let me recommend Rhode Island PBS Weekly. Rhode Island PBS Weekly is an award-winning news magazine broadcast that gives you the full story, powered by investigative journalism and narrative storytelling. New episodes of Rhode Island PBS Weekly drop Sundays at 7.30 p.m. on Rhode Island PBS. Watch past episodes at ripbs.org weekly. That's ripbs.org weekly. All right, welcome back. I'm here with Pamela Watts from Rhode Island PBS Weekly, Gage Prentice, the creator of the soon-to-be-installed sculpture of Edward Bannister. Thank you both for joining me. Thank well, you. it's a pleasure to be here, especially talking art in the creative capital. Pam, for people who haven't heard about Edward Bannister, tell us a bit about who he was and how he ended up in Providence. Interesting story. Ed, you know, Edward Mitchell Bannister came to my attention as I was doing a story about the Providence Art Club, which is 150 years old, just about one of the oldest, the second oldest in the country, only by a few months. And like many reporters, when you start to do the story, you get involved in some of the people. And then it came to my attention that Edward Mitchell Bannister is considered by the art club to be its founder. His silhouette is on the wall with the number one. He was originally from Canada. His father was from Barbados. His mother was Scottish. She encouraged him in art, but when they passed away, he did what many young men did from his town. He put out to sea and landed in Boston, where he met a Rhode Island woman, Christiana Carteau, quite a remarkable lady in her own right. And she was a businesswoman. She was a hairdresser. He became a barber, but he also pursued his interest in art. Eventually, they both came and settled in Providence on the east side. And because she was so successful, he was able to pursue his art. And he became quite proficient at it. Gage, how would you describe his artwork? When I first got to see his artwork, I was just blown away by it. Mostly, I, I'm going to talk about his landscapes. He would make an environment that just held on to light. It would make you feel an atmosphere of possibility, of something about to happen. And this kind of contained charge energy 
I found really kind of amazing and delicious to look at. He didn't just go out plain air and paint things like I originally thought he did. Uh, he'd go out and he would sketch and he would sail and he would walk mm. and he would soak in the environment and the feelings and get the, the basic structure of his painting when he was out there. Then he'd go to a studio and he would filter all this with his feelings and his experiences and he would overlay this onto his landscapes. And Pam, I understand he won an award for his painting at America's First World's Fair back in 1876. Tell us what happened that day. It was the Philadelphia Centennial, and there were hundreds of artists that had been entered in a competition there. And when the judges went to announce the winner, he walked up and they were shocked because they did not expect it to be a black man. It, it caused a great sensation. What are they going to do? And they were going to rescind his award, and the other artists said, We'll all withdraw unless you give him this award. And these were all the white artists. And he was inspired to do this because 10 years before, he read an article in the New York Herald that said in part that blacks had an appreciation for art while being manifestly unable to produce it. And he said, watch me. He wanted to disprove them. And so less than huh. 10 years later, he wins this huge award. And his certificate of first place is one of the most prized possessions in the Providence Art Club. I'll bet. But That's the piece amazing. that he did, which was rather large, it was like four feet by six feet, it's called Under the Oaks, was sold and it has since disappeared. No oh, one no. knows where it is. So if someone likes a treasure hunt, this is the one to go for. Yeah. Especially because his works now, the most recent that sold at Sotheby's, was expected to sell for about $75,000. It went for more than a quarter million dollars. So tell us why the Providence Art Club is honoring Bannister now. They didn't come to me for this project. I went to them. Oh, no kidding. Yeah. I, yeah, what inspired you to do that? I think it was 2018. I was invited to go to a show of Bannister's works, and I was so changed and inspired seeing Bannister's work, and especially the portrait that he painted of his wife, Christiana, that I immediately started talking to friends who were patrons and members of the art club about wanting to express that feeling and figure out a way to raise awareness for Bannister in a public way. It wasn't till a few years ago, everyone was in the same building at the same time. And I finally got the courage to say, listen, I would like to do a statue of Bannister for the city and I would like your help. And tell me a bit more about the process of you went through to decide what this sculpture should look like. At first, I was going to have him standing painting at an easel. Uh, but, you know, you think about something in a living, breathing city, and you start to see how many sharp edges and uh, breakable parts and hazards that something like that can produce. And also, if the whole point of having Bannister out there is that he can interact with people, having him studying a canvas, ignoring people around him, just isn't going to have the heart of it. So uh, I thought back to one of my favorite sculptures when I was a kid was Ben Franklin sitting on a bench over at Penn. What I saw was just the burnishing away of the patina from people touching and sitting hmm. and interacting with that statue. He wasn't on a pedestal. He wasn't a monument. Hmm. He was a presence and an encounter. So I just wanted to have a nice six-foot bench for someone to sit on and 
have Bannister doing something that would illustrate who he was, what he used to do, and have him positioned and open in a way that would invite anyone who was in his vicinity to want to look over his shoulder or down to the sketchbook in his lap and see what he's actually doing. And I wanted his gaze to be not zoned out, but, but focused, but also not uh, intimidating in any way. And, you, and it invites people to interact. Yes. It's going right. to draw people in. Yeah, what do you hope happens? I mean, from the very beginning, all I wanted was for people to become curious about who this man sketching on this bench is and why people would spend the time, the expense, and all the legalities to have him there. Let's talk about that art form of uh, bronze statues. Where do you see those being created today and where does this fit in? Right now, and in the last several years, People have looked at monuments that exist up on pedestals, wrought traditionally out of bronze, depicting politicians, glorifying war, and people who built the country and built cities and did it through nefarious means. So there's a lot of anger that gets directed towards this form of art. The traditional bronze statue almost becomes offensive. And I've been asked why I would pursue that kind of art form when things are moving more towards abstraction, even holograms, impermanence, you know, to fit the times. My feeling is that history is very important and it might not be the style of the work being made public, but the subject matter. I'd like to see more bronze representational sculpture out in cities glorifying the artists and the writers and the thinkers and the community activists and the people that have been ignored or passed on definitely because of racism and classism and other things, but also because it's very expensive to do this. There's a lot of moving parts and there's a lot of T's that need to be crossed and I's that need to be dotted. I think that if we could streamline it and open it up and choose our subjects with more heart and, and more telling the future who we want you to pay attention to and what stories we want you to follow, then having permanent, vulnerable, human subjects pleasantly haunting a city is a beautiful thing. I was curious, have you given any thought about what it means to be a white artist sculpting an image of a pioneer in the black community? Uh, I've been made to think about it. It didn't occur to me at the time. But then again, I, I've kind of unfortunately been a little naive in that respect and tunnel visioned. All I knew is that as an artist, I have to kind of chase the things that bring me wonder and joy. And my intention when I start anything, is to share that. If I had decided to do this by myself, for myself, funded by myself, it wouldn't really be a big deal. Uh, but because it became so big, this initial idea that I shopped around and ended up at the Providence Art Club with got bigger and bigger, and I had to start taking into account all the facets of the community and the people that Bannister is a part of their legacy and their history and their lives. And at first I was terrified 
of the whole situation. But then for every question that made me feel uncomfortable, I met so many more people that were supportive and excited and just happy to see that he was getting the recognition. And Pam, remind us now of when this is all going to unfold and what other events are surrounding the uh, unveiling. It's going to be a great weekend in September. It starts on the 9th with Waterfire, PVD Fest. Barnaby Evans, the artist and creator of Waterfire, is going to project the works of Bannister so that people can be immersed in his genius. There is a parade, I think, leading up to the unveiling that's going to start on the pedestrian walkway led by some puppets and artists and people who uh, want to make a, a great and joyful sound, I think, heading down there. Exult Choir will be singing, there'll be speeches, and the uh, official unveiling. Mayor Smiley's declaring September 10th, Edward Mitchell Bannister Day in Providence, right? Is that the day of the unveiling? And that's the day of the unveiling. But people can get a peek of it beforehand uh, because they're going to just have him sitting there uh, right on Market Square looking out to the water and looking over to where Christiana Carteau and he used to come and walk back up to the east side. People walking around downtown are going to be able to see him on a regular basis. Yeah, he is going to be there for the foreseeable future. It's going to be a remarkable celebration of his life and work. For sure. It gives me goosebumps to to imagine how he would feel about all this. Don't you think he, he would have sketched it, painted it? I think he would have sat there with the biggest grin you could imagine, you know, holding Christiana tight and just... You know, he probably would have wept about it. Great way to end it. Pam Watts and Gage Prentice, thank you for joining us today. My pleasure. Wonderful to be here. Rhode Island Report is a production of the Boston Globe in collaboration with Rhode Island PBS. Today's episode was produced by Megan Hall, Carlos Munoz, and Scott Hellman. Audio mixing and mastering by Marissa Ewing of Hemlock Creek Productions. Our music is from APM. And if you like the podcast, do us a favor. Follow the show and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. I'm Ed Fitzpatrick. See you next week. to binge watch all your favorite PBS shows, you need Rhode Island PBS Passport, Masterpiece, Antiques Roadshow, Rhode Island PBS Weekly, and many more. Watch them all anytime and from any streaming device. Learn more about this member benefit at ripbs.org passport. That's ripbs.org passport.